Welcome back for part two of our look at China. Uh, we're now going to take a look at all the uh, neighbors around China. Uh, we're first going to start with the northern nomads, uh, known as the Zhongnu, um, and then we're going to take a look at their smaller neighbors in Korea, Japan, and Vietnam. So, uh, things to know about the Zhongnu. Uh, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. Um, these are a normal or uh, a, a group in the north uh, that are pastoralists. Uh, they'll eventually become the Mongols, um, but um, it's a it's a tribal system that they kind of live in, and uh, they're needed for trades, especially along the Silk Road because they're nomads. Uh, they're able to travel. They're they're great horsemen, and so they're really needed for that. However, uh, they see the wealth, the the nomadic peoples, so the Zhongnu as the um, as they're known. Uh, want to make money off of China, and so they will go and raid China and are viewed as uncivilized and, and uh, barbaric. And so um, it, they eventually lead to the collapse of the Han. They're, they're one of the major reasons why the Han collapses, uh, because they have a strong military and um, they, they need to, to support their growing numbers. They need to get farming products, which they can't get on their own because the, the soil isn't that good there, so they have to get it from China. As well as they'd like to have luxury goods to pay off their soldiers. So there is a constant conflict going on between the two. Um, this leads to then a, a formal tribute system where um, the Zhongnu are expected to kind of kowtow or bow down to China and say that they are the Chinese are superior, even though the um, even though the Zhongnu might be more powerful militarily. Um, it's all about just giving the perception that China is greater, more civilized, is the center of civilization than uh, in comparison to them. Um, and in return for looking as, as tributes or, or um, looking subservient to China, uh, they will get major bribes to not go in a, and attack China, um, which is fine. They don't, they don't really care because they just want the money. It's, they know what's – both sides know who's, who's got the power really. Um, and so um, what kind of happens is um, the Chinese will then sponsor certain kings or rulers within those, those tribes, the Zhongnu and later the Yukur, uh with the Tang. Um, and it's, it's all to avoid being attacked by them. But other groups, other smaller groups that are not getting those payments will go in and, and raid because they don't have full control over their tribe. Um, and... Uh, even though um, these raids happen, China's still going to pay them off because it keeps the majority of them away. Now, at times, these payments won't work, and, and you'll have full-scale uh, attacks by these groups, the Zhongnu or the Uyghur, um, but um, it's not all the time. And so it's limited, and it, it keeps China somewhat at peace in the frontier. Um, this then, inter constant interaction between the two, will lead China to influence the uh, these barbarian tribes as they're viewed and um there are a few exceptions like the jurchen don't do that but uh some that settle in the regions along china in the northern side or in the western side will uh, adopt some bits of agriculture and eventually become very chinese that's kind of what happens to the tang uh the sui are also kind of doing that as well um and um it's it's all because they they want to get out of that system that they're in and they want to be able to settle down uh, have maybe a more stable life, and these might be might have been tribes that are not the Zhongnu, but they were be, being pushed out by them in their conquests that are going on within the uh, Central Asian steppes. So, um, yeah, that kind of going on to the north, 
Um, and uh, also, one last thing to mention, I kind of mentioned this uh, on the last episode, uh, but uh, the people that do adopt the Chinese culture are still not viewed as Chinese, even though they might act Chinese or act more Chinese than the Chinese do. Um, they are not viewed as as fully Chinese. And so um, that's always going to be kind of an, an issue, and that's why the Tang will eventually be kind of pushed out on top of poor governance and corruption at the end. Um, now, the other regions, so uh, we're going to look at Korea, Vietnam, and Japan here. Uh, we'll start off with Korea. Uh, Korea is to the north and east of um, China in that area, uh, coming off that P Korean peninsula. And they've always had kind of close ties with China, especially during the Han, uh, where they were conquered by them. Uh, but um, they will eventually start resisting that uh, conquest and not wanting to be a full part of China, but instead be a tribute state. And they'll do that, and they'll set up their own dynasties known as the Sila, the Koryo, and the Yi. Uh, we're not going to go into the dates on those. Well, I guess I can go through the dates. The Sila are 688 to 900, the Koryo are 918 to 1392, and the Yi are 1392 to 1910. And that's really going to bring you through all of Korean history there. We're not going to go into each of those dynasties at all. Um, but um, that brings you up until the Japanese conquer uh, Korea and make it a uh, colony in the uh, modern era. Um, so uh, the big thing, though, that all these dynasties are trying to do is look Chinese because China is the major power in the region. They want to look Chinese and be Chinese and be kind of part of it uh, as that tribute state. And so they try to follow the structure of um, the Chinese government. Uh, they will create a writing system that's similar but not exactly Chinese. They have their own, um, their own alphabet and things like that. Um, their uh, city, Kumsong, will become a replica of kind of Changyan, uh, which was the capital at the time. And they will follow some Confucianist ideas, at least in the elites. And uh, because of this, then women are going to lose their, their freedom. Um, you're going to have more polygamy going on. Um, there's singing and stuff like that are looked at as wrong for women. And so that moves away. But as well because of their influence with uh, the Chinese um, or China's influence on them, when Buddhism comes under the Tang Dynasty uh, and under the uh, end of the Han Dynasty and, and through the through those periods, uh, Buddhism is going to take hold in in Korea and it's going to become a major religion there. And um, that kind of is the main thing with Korea. They're they're always kind of on the edge, uh, working with China in some way, being a tribute state, but. Uh, and at times being conquered by China, but at other times they're they're fully independent. Uh, now to the south, you have Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam uh, is really kind of uh, resists a lot, except for the elites. The elites in Vietnam wanted to align themselves with China because they saw the power there and they wanted to be like them. And so they'll adopt Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism. They'll have, again, a similar administration system or government, a similar exam system um, to, to be in that government, similar arts and literature. But the common folk don't really see themselves as Chinese or want to be Chinese or want to be a part of that. They, they'd rather see themselves independent. And so after the Han conquest, uh, Vietnam will usually fight and maintain its independence, um, but will become some type of uh, tribute state to them. Um, now, there are some uh, the the famous uh, stories in this. I believe there's a section in this chapter that goes in the Trung Trac sisters. Um and uh, they were women that uh, fought uh, with the peasants uh, and led a peasant rebellion against uh, the Han. And you see this consistently happening with women rising up and, and fighting off um, the Chinese and influence on that. Um, 
so uh, what else? Uh, so one thing the book will bring up is that uh, Vietnam is, is a part of China from 11 or 111 BCE to 939 CE. And this all depends on what dynasty is in power. Because uh, when there is no dynasty in power, China doesn't have much of an influence there. But when you get the Tang Dynasty or Song Dynasty, yes, there's going to be more influence them there, or the Han Dynasty in the case of the the early parts of this. But Vietnam will will at times rebel and become independent again, um, and they'll fully gain their independence after the Tang Dynasty and and kind of be fully separate, although still uh, looking to China as a as a model. Um, they'll use the ideas of the Mandate of Heaven as well, and um, the major differences that you'll see is they again create their own writing system. They don't follow exactly Chinese uh, writing. Uh, they enjoy seeing animal fights, so cockfighting with with roosters going after each other. Uh, they will chew beetle nuts, which the the Chinese view is uh, not good. And women's rights are, are much better there. Again, uh, I already brought up that there's there's sisters that fight against the Chinese and lead battles. That wouldn't have been possible in China. I mean, you have the story of Mulan, but really that's not that's not a norm or anything like that that doesn't happen consistently that's kind of one story out there um women also were able to kind of choose their own husband or at least have influence on that and um with buddhism there 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 is a lot of um, opportunities for women and then the last major re region we're going to talk about here is japan and japan never is conquered by china uh it's always independent it looks at china some uh, to get some ideas, but then they also want to be kind of their own thing. And you can kind of see that still, um, well, you can definitely see that still today with a major rivalry between Japan and China. Um, but uh, the first Japanese state comes about in the 600s and 800s, and uh, they create a centralized bureaucracy, kind of building it off of what the, the Chinese look like. They sent people over uh, to go and bring back some Chinese culture, but they never um, fully became Chinese or invited the Chinese to take them over. Uh, and this was under the first leader, Shotoku uh, Tahishi. Um, and uh, again, they brought back that uh, culture. They've created a 17-article constitution that calls for Buddhism. So with, with the, con with the um, uh, Chinese culture, they bring Buddhism. They also bring Confucianism. Uh, they bring the idea of an emperor. Um, and uh, they make their capital, uh, Nara and Hien, uh, or which is now today, uh, Hien is... Kyoto, uh, they base it again off of Chang'an, just like the Koreans did. Um, they will also bring in some of the arts, uh, architecture, and again, Buddhism uh, from China. But around 900, they say, ah, we're not going to be a tribute state anymore. So they're kind of a tribute state before and, and praising China, but then they say, nah, we're going to do our own thing. And they'll still look to China for influence, but uh, for some ideas, but they're going to stay mostly separate here. And so, like, they never have a fully centralized government. And this is also partially because of the, the geography of Japan. If you know Japan, it's an island nation with, with multiple islands, and <coughs> and you have these mountain ranges in it that, that make it very difficult to unite. And so, um, because of this, you'll have local lords in different regions known as daimyo who will have more control in that region than the emperor will. And so it's very kind of decentralized in comparison to China, where it's a very centralized power. Um, this will lead to the rise of uh, samurai uh, and a warrior code known as uh, Bushido uh, and the martial arts and um, kind of dealing with that stuff. And you get this feudalism type of look that we're going to see when we talk about Europe uh, as we go through this. As well, um, Japan has its own religion known as Shinto, 
um, and that never goes away. Uh, and because of their view of religion, um, they see it as okay to interact, and so you can be Buddhist and Shinto at the same time. Uh, and that is still true today. You can you can do surveys in China. You're going to see over 100% of the people follow uh, follow religions, and then you realize that well, that means they're Shinto and Buddhist, and not just one or the other, like we look at it here in the U.S., where you can only be Christian or you can only be Muslim or Buddhist or you, you have to choose one. And they go, no, no, you can be what you want to be. Um, and so one thing with Shinto to know is that uh, it's a lot of focus on spirits. And so you have uh, kind of everything has a spirit. There are spirits of, of woods and spirits of people and, and animals and stuff like that. And it's, so it's kind of like ancestor worship again. Um, and they're known as Kami, K-A-M-I. And... Um, also, Japan has its own lit. Um, they, they will create an alphabet, again, similar to the Chinese, uh, similar to the Vietnamese and Koreans, but also their own. And uh, they'll write some great books, uh, one of the most famous ones being The Tale of Genji, um, which is all about court gossip within in Japan. And then, uh, as kind of similar to Vietnam, uh, women will not lose as many rights in Japan as they do in Korea or China with Confucianism and other things like that. Um, they're able to uh, live with their families, um, have uh, remarriages or divorce uh, was much easier. Uh, but um, when the samurai start rising in power and you get to a more uh, feudalistic structure as we go through China or through Japanese history, you're going to see women lose more and more rights as as the, the, the kingdom becomes more um, conservative in its, in its beliefs and views on things. So um, you will eventually see them losing it, but not as quickly or not as much as you might see in China and Korea at the time. And uh, that's China's neighbors. So now we just have one section left here looking at uh, China's role in the economy and the spread of Buddhism in China.